The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. All right, Tom, we have a big guest today. He's a former uh, opponent of yours. Oh, okay. Was uh, involved in uh, one of the scariest incidents in, in NHL uh, history. And uh, he's just a good dude. So today we're going to talk to Clint Malarchuk. Ah, wow. And one other thing is he's an actual real-life cowboy, unlike right. yourself. Who, <laughs> I'm the phony cowboy. Who pretends to be one. I'm the drugstore cowboy. Clint <laughs> Malarchuk, how you doing, brother? We've never met face-to-face, just, uh, I guess, on the ice we would against each other. But uh, yeah. great to meet you. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've got a lot of former uh, teammates that are yeah. friends of our mutual friends for yeah. sure. One yeah. of the all time best is Larry Playfair. Oh what boy, a what a great man. great guy! I, I, anytime I go back to Buffalo, I make sure I I track yeah. him down. He's yeah. I talk. You talk about hands. Oh my <laughs> god, he's such a scary dude on the ice when you play against him. When they oh, play yeah. with him, he's the sweetest guy in the world. Yeah, 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 and funny. Wicked yeah, sense very, yes, yes, good practical joker. Yeah, I remember I was going at it with John Van Boxmer back and forth. You know, the FU bombs out there, and, and Larry was standing beside him. and He goes, hey, Okay, if you're so tough, why don't you fight Larry? <laughs> no, that's okay, <laughs> that's fine. Well, <laughs> I think everybody had F bombs for boxy. Oh, is that right? Was he in the oh, I didn't know. I thought, oh, oh yeah, he, he was a he, he was a chirper, and yeah, but was he playing then or was he coaching? He was playing, yes. He was with Buffalo. He oh, was still playing. He wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't fight. No, I didn't get the sense he wanted to fight, but he was pretty oh. smart. He said, they should fight, play for it. I said, that's it. Okay, that conversation's over with. Yeah, no, no kidding. Yeah, definitely. Where are you from, Clint? Where's home? Uh, I live in Reno, Tahoe, uh, right. about an hour south of Reno, about 40 minutes from Lake Tahoe. I'm on the Nevada side, and I'm from Alberta. I'm from Grand Prairie, Alberta. Oh, okay, good. So that's where you grew up, started playing hockey in Grand Prairie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, that, cool. that was uh, we we kind of migrated to Edmonton, and then as I got better, you know, we go to bigger cities, so you get better. You know how that that sure. whole thing works, and then uh, ended up in Calgary, so oh, we worked our ways, and that was my off season home for most of my pro career, and then uh, when I got traded from Quebec to Washington, uh, I got my green card. Uh, became a citizen, and you know, I just go back and visit family. Very cool. Now, did you start off being a goaltender? <laughs> well, no, I I played uh, I played out, and the reason was my dad was a goalie, and you know, no mask yeah. uh, back in the old senior leagues, and and then my brother, seven years older, was a goalie too. So I just wanted to be, of course, you know, I want to be a goalie. Yeah. But they, they said, no, you got to learn to skate, be a good skater. So I played, uh, I played out till I was about nine. And then I oh, got okay. the ads. Yeah. And dreamed of playing in the National Hockey League from the start or where? Oh, yeah. Like, well, yeah. well, we all dream of that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I remember when my brother was playing with the Calgary Centennials in the, uh, uh, was it the old Western Hockey League, I think it was called back then. And, uh, you know, I just thought, wow, that is so cool. I looked up to them. He's seven years older. So these guys, they had Danny Gare, Mike Rogers, and, uh-huh. you know, uh, and I, I grew up watching the gas offs and Medicine Hat and, you know, all these tough guys. And uh, so, yeah, that would the, dream of the NHL. Yes. But uh, ultimately, when you're 10 years old, 12 years old, you just want to get to where Big Brother is. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I had that dream. I was like six years old and I couldn't skate hardly at all. And I wrote a letter telling as a teacher in the school that I was going to play in the national hockey league. My parents must've been looking at that letter. Like, what is this guy thinking? He can't even skate for God's sake. Well, yeah. And, and now they look back at that and they say, you still can't skate. <laughs> <laughs> <Very true. laughs> 
<laughs> Very true. <laughs> oh, that is funny. All right. So you uh, you work your way up, moving from town to town, getting better and better all the time. Then what you were drafted in the uh, Western Hockey League draft, is that? No, back then they didn't have a draft. It was oh. uh, um, by area. So uh, Portland Winterhawks used to be the Edmonton Oil Kings. Oh, so yeah. when they moved to Portland, they still held that uh, area. And I don't know how big of an area – um, but each team had an area to take the, the kids. Uh, and then if they don't get picked up, the kids, another team can uh, go after them. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a little different, a little different back then. That's right. Yeah. So you ended up going to Portland then? Yep. Yep. So yeah, did you go with like a 16 year old or how old were you when you started? Oh, shoot. Oh, I didn't go to Portland until I was 17. Oh, okay. I, I played uh, uh, in the Alberta Junior Hockey League until uh, I was 17, 18, or whatever it was. And that was a good league back then. And, you know, I was playing every game. So I stayed, you know, I, I, I could have gone up earlier and been a backup, but I just thought, yeah. you know, I'd play. Sure. So at that point now, are you starting to think you're going to be an NHL hockey player? I know you were dreaming when you're younger, but now it's getting closer to being a reality. Yeah, off and on, you know, because you know how hard it is. Yeah. But but you, you also don't, we're naive and we don't know how hard it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, there's a luck of the draw, where you get drafted, their depth charts and all that. And I was, I was fortunate. I got drafted by uh, Quebec um, because they had no depth in goal. They had uh, Dan Bouchard and, and John Garrett, and they were both in their thirties. After that, they really didn't. And I remember my first training camp, um, uh, I had a really good camp and I thought, wow, you know, uh, and I got called up a couple times my first couple of years. Uh, but the game has changed. Uh, as you know, I remember walking in first training camp and we're supposed to do some sort of fitness testing, which back then wasn't real, <laughs> real hard. Yeah. And I, I remember this heavy set guy, but he's on a stationary bike and he's pedaling real slow and he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and he, <laughs> He's speaking French and everybody's laughing. Everybody's laughing. I thought he was a trainer uh, calibrating the bike for the testing. And I said, who is that? Well, that's Moose Dupont, our captain. <laughs> yeah. isn't, that, isn't that true when you first turn pro, how bad a shape the veteran players are in training camp? Oh, my. Well, they, yeah. you know, uh, back in the day, they, they went to training camp to get in shape. You yeah. know, it was six yeah. weeks long. Yeah, but I here he was smoking a cigarette on his fitness test. <laughs> that, that, is, that is the NHL back then, right? Eddie, Eddie yeah. Johnstone, the great Eddie Johnstone was like that. We, in between periods, he'd be smoking cigarettes in the bathroom right beside the locker room and everything. Oh. Well, uh, I remember one game. Uh, well, they had another in Quebec, another guy. He hardly ever played. He was uh, Michel Plass's backup by first year, or uh, Dan Bouchard's backup. His name was Michel Plass. And I remember rooming with him. And I'd wake up at 3 in the morning, and I'd see this glow, little glow. And he'd be up at 3 in the morning, laying in bed, smoking a cigarette. So I'd see the cigarette uh, glow up and down, <laughs> up and down. But he got he got thrown into a game. And he was a smoker, obviously. And when when he got thrown into the game, he for, he always kept his uh, his cigarettes and a lighter in his you know tucked in his pad in his goalie pad yeah. by his, by his knee. So as soon as the period was over, he'd just walk to the locker room and wherever they or smoking room area was. And so he got thrown into a game, and the whistle blows, and the, the linesman skates up with a pack of smokes and a lighter. <laughs> <laughs> that's classic stuff that's good that's excellent. oh yeah so how, long, how long did you stay how long did you stay in quebec uh, i think i was there six years oh you were yeah, yeah. how many years uh, in you the, i was in the organization for six years seven years maybe i think it was six and then dale hunter and i got traded to washington for uh first round draft pick which ended up being joe sackick so i tell everybody I was yeah. traded for Joe Sackett. I don't. There, there, there was multiple players in the deal. Yeah, but I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't, I don't yeah. mention that. I was traded sure. for Joe Sackett. <laughs> I'm the same way. Isn't it funny how that happens? Like your ego kind of kicks in at that point, and you want to be traded for a good player. I'm yeah, well, playing. I don't know if it's uh, ego with me. It's more of a sense of humor. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Okay, there you go. I know. Initially, it was for me because I remember I got traded uh, from New York to Los Angeles. It was myself and Bobby Carpenter for Marcel Dion. And I'm thinking to myself, Marcel Dion's like 60 years old now. For God's sake, <laughs> he, he, had a great, he had a great career. I, I tease about that kind of stuff. But. Yeah, he did have a good career, great career. So then, how long were you in Washington? Uh, I think it was two seasons. Oh, okay. I got I got traded the day before the the uh, the 
the uh, deadline, trading deadline, to Buffalo, and uh, then I played in Buffalo for a number of number of years. Good. Did you like yeah. Buffalo? Like I've heard players once they play there really enjoy Buffalo. I love Buffalo. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one thing: the, the the fans are awesome. They're um, uh, very, you know, it's a sport, and you're closer to the border, the Canadian border, so yeah. you get CB, you get CBC Hockey Night in Canada. You know, you're in a hockey yeah. a hockey town. Yeah. yeah, Buffalo is awesome. I can see why players stay there. Besides, you know, you, you wouldn't think so with all the snow and yeah, and that. <clears throat> yeah, but it's a great place to live. Yeah, Clint, can we go back a little bit to Quebec? Because we we know you had the accident, and that that's obviously um, well known. But was the worst day in your career January fifth, nineteen eighty six? January fifth. It's the day that Tom Lidlow scored on you. Oh no! Come on! Oh, oh you looked that up. Good job. He's got a shorty too. Good job. I uh. I retired right after that game. <laughs> I remember I scored on Chico Resch one time, and he was interviewed after the game, and he goes, the worst thing about it was that that guy scored on me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chico Mesh. Uh, so, hey, good job, Tom, with that up. God, can't be that hard. There's only, no, there's not many. There's only 25 goals to look up, so can't be that hard. <laughs> One down, 24 to go. Well, they didn't. Even, they didn't even have TVs back then. So. No kidding. No kidding. So uh, uh, in Washington, you go to Buffalo. And you're there how many years in Buffalo? Uh, parts of four, I guess. Well, I got trained there in 89. Yeah, yeah, but I, I really started to struggle with some of my mental uh, health issues. Did you? And, when, you got, when you got to Buffalo? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, well, I, let me let me back up. When I got to Buffalo, I, I, you know, it was probably the best hockey I ever played. I went in there. I, they made the trade. I think they were losing you know why they make trades or whatever and i came in there on fire and i'm winning and i'm playing probably the best i've ever played and then uh i had that accident where i got the uh, jugular vein severed in that game against st louis yeah wow. that's where that's where things uh went downhill yeah so i mean obviously the first question i had for you and i made sure i asked you before the show that you're okay answer talking about it um, at the time that that happens, what's going through your mind? Death. Just, uh, you know, you see that much blood that quick and how far it was squirting and you go, Oh, it's a main artery or, you know? And so I, I was preparing for death and, um, oh yeah, I, uh, uh, my, I knew my mom was watching the game on uh, a satellite oh, wow. and so Everybody thinks, uh, what a what a courageous guy he got up and skated off the ice. No, I, I got off the ice because I didn't want mom to see me die on the ice or taken in a stretcher. Wow. Uh, I also have that cowboy mentality, you know, skate to the bench, you know, yeah. don't lay on the ice and get the TV. And you know, yeah. I know I know a couple of players that would do that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So what? a couple of doctors came out of the stands to, to help you, correct? Is that how that what happened? Well, yeah, there was a lot of doctors at the game and they all kind of reported down to our locker room, but it was our team doctor that, uh, you know, got to me right away. And, and, uh, Jim Pizzatelli, our medical trainer, there was a lot of things that factored into me being alive or living through that, uh, event. You, you remember the old Buffalo odd that yeah. the, the locker rooms were at that end of the ice at one end of the ice yep. and our locker room was right there. Our medical room was right there. Our doctors sit right there. Uh, Jim Pizzatelli was a Vietnam medic. Oh. So you imagine trying to plug this guy up, you know, yeah. he's bleeding all over on TV and in front of 18,000 people live. Right. Yeah. I mean, you might lose your, you know, oh, yeah. in a hurry, but yeah. he handled it. He handled it really, really well. He saved my life basically. Wow. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I was only in Buffalo. Probably I got traded there maybe three weeks right. and uh, there was a team chaplain. And I called for him. I mean, I prepared for death. I told one trainer, call my mom, tell her I love her. I was preparing to die. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I recommend anybody, if you do go look it up on YouTube, uh, it's one of those things you can't unsee, unfortunately, too, right? So it's be careful if you look it up. You may not want to see it. So. Yeah, it's pretty graphic. Yeah, a lot of blood. And but um, Amazingly, Clint, you came back pretty quickly after that, right? Yeah, I think it was like 10, 11 days. That's did you really did, oh, wow i didn't know that well as wow. soon as uh well some of the doctors were saying you know take the rest of the season off and this was march and i want you know we we're going to get in the playoffs and um and some said maybe you should just think about retiring outright and i'm like no 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 no. i ain't doing any of that i i'm 
soon as the stitches came out, I was able to go back. And so I did. And that was, I don't know if it was smarter. I, I really don't, but you get bucked off horse. What do you do? You get yeah. right back on yeah. face, face, face those fears uh, sooner rather than later. Right. And uh, when I came back, I kind of became kind of a cult hero in, in Buffalo. Even to this day, there's a band in Buffalo called Malarchuk. Oh, it's not right. I, yeah, no. yeah. And they're terrible. And <laughs> no, they're, 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 they're probably good. They're just heavy metal. And that's, I, yeah. I don't, that, but yeah, um, you know, I kind of epitomized everything they loved in that blue collar sports town, you know, hardworking, courageous, gritty, no talent. <laughs> <laughs> you had talent. You're being humble. Well, you had a heck yeah. of a career. So you come back quickly then and uh, you had a couple more years in Buffalo after the injury as well. Yeah. Yeah, but my my mental health really declined then. Right. Um, you know, I did have OCD undiagnosed uh, as a kid. Even I was in the hospital for two months with uh, anxiety problems, depression. You know, 10, 12 years old, and so. But I was able to kind of keep it all in check until that accident happened. It was the following year. I think that love and adrenaline and support in Buffalo um, got me through the season. It was the following season where I started to have, uh, and I don't even think this was a set of letters back then, PTSD. I was showing panic, uh, panic attacks. Uh, my OCD was hard for me to leave the house. Uh, nightmares, flashbacks, so the skate coming up. Um, uh, just and, and, of course, I'm not telling anybody because, Tommy, you know how that is. You yeah. just, yeah. You, you, you know, <laughs> you're fighting for your job every day. Yeah. And, and and as a goalie uh, that back then mental illness was and it still is it, it, we're getting better with it but uh looked upon as a uh, weakness mental oh, weakness yeah. totally and yeah. it's not doesn't matter how tough you are yeah you know uh, yes I mean, I, i've definitely learned that too like it's the same thing if you break your leg you put a cast on your leg and you get, it gets fixed the same thing if you've got a mental health issue doesn't mean all of you is bad or hurt or whatever just part of you is needs, needs help so yeah yeah totally. So finally, so you don't tell anybody your whole playing career that this is going on. Well, what happened, we had a, and I don't tell this story very much because I just, it, it, I've almost died three times. And this was uh, number one, the jugular vein. Now, number two, uh, we had a Super Bowl party at Pat LaFontaine's house. And I'm not in a good mental way at all. I'm not sleeping, uh, total insomnia, sleep maybe an hour, two tops. Um, and I'd even sit in a chair uh so i could kind of sleep but not go into a rem sleep where i'd see the skate the flashback in a dream in a nightmare so i'm sleep deprived and everything and uh patty uh, i only stayed there about 30 minutes because i just was in, in a bad place i went back to my house and and i hadn't slept like i keep saying and i read this uh medication that i had i was had a broken thumb i was playing with do not drink with alcohol will make you drowsy so i took i don't know it wasn't like i drained the bottle or it was a suicide or anything uh but i i took you know probably four or five six and drained a bottle of scotch and my heart stopped <laughs> so, well, yeah a lot of people don't know that story i don't talk about that one too much no are you married at the time no okay so you're by yourself when this happens uh no uh i had a, a roommate then what? and found me laying on the floor yeah. Now, the, the roommate doesn't know about the mental health issues at all. No one did. Wow. Yeah. So talk about that for a second. I mean, you've got to carry that burden all this time, knowing that there's, there's something, you have a mental health issue, but you can't talk to anybody about it. That had to be hard just in itself, right? Well, yeah. And you're, I was so confused myself. I didn't know what was going on, to tell you the truth. I know I'm not sleeping. I know I'm getting night. You know, I, I know what's going on, but I don't know why. And, uh, again, being a goalie, you're supposed to be the mentally tough guy. And yeah. so I was, I was really keeping it to myself. Right. And, uh, but that's when I woke up in the hospital and, uh, there was a psychiatrist that thought maybe it might be a suicide attempt. And he started asking me all these questions and I just told him everything. I can't sleep. I have panic attacks, my OCD, um depression all the and so that was the first time i got diagnosed with any kind of mental illness right so that was when you got diagnosed with the ptsd nope um that ptsd was never diagnosed till about 2008 oh wow yeah yeah, wow. yeah. 
Um, like I said, I don't even think, you know, that's a kind of a, every, we, we say PTSD, we, all, we always, always think of our, our military guys and gals. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, PTSD can, it happens to all of us. Life is full of all, all sorts of traumas. Divorce is trauma, uh, yeah. losing a loved one's trauma. Um, but uh, for me, I guess, almost dying uh, three times, what I've learned about trauma, and I've done a lot of uh, retreats and PTSD work, um, and I always thought, I, I was talking to a, vet, a veteran friend of mine who saw, you know, major action, gunfire and, and that. And I said, how come I jump at loud noises? How come I'm on edge and, and like, I mean, I, I would literally scream and jump if somebody comes up behind me unannounced. And he said, it doesn't matter. What he's learned is the PTSD, it affects the brain. And it doesn't discriminate how you got it. You, you right. got it and, and that's it. Right. I saw a military, I can't remember who was, maybe it was a Navy SEAL getting interviewed. And he thought that they should drop the D, not call it a disorder. Yeah. Do you yeah. agree with that? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I There's political BS all the time, you know, and I do understand where he's going. But uh, I did an 18-month course in uh, for PTSD and uh, – our, our biggest motto was we learn to struggle well. Mm-hmm. And they also uh, conform to what you just said, drop the D. Um, yeah, it, but I mean, come on. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Today's world, I, I, you know, I just get, I'm not the most politically correct guy in the world. And it just pisses me off when we always, are, you know, yeah, awesome with things and, you know. I agree. So when you retired, then it was the mental health, the reason you retired, or is that just the end of your career? Your time was done. No, when I retired, uh, my back was bad. I needed surgery. My knees were shot. Yeah. I was 35 right. and, um, it, it was getting to be a, a real labor to get ready for practice or a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had this, uh, what do they call it? Uh, it was a horse liniment, super strong. And I'd rub that on my knees, you know, before, oh, yeah. before, before game or practice. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it just got too painful to, to keep going. And then, uh, my play is not what it would be. And I don't like sitting on the bench. Well, who does? Yeah, totally. Especially when you've been a starting goaltender all along, right? Yeah. Right. And now you're sitting on the bench watching games and it's just not fun anymore. Sure. So you made the decision yourself that that was the end of your career. Well, yeah. And I had a good transition. Uh, I was playing in the IHL with the Las Vegas Thunder. And, um, they, uh, so after I got my mental health back, I was in San Diego for a year and I get my mental health back and I'm just loving life thinking, wow, is this what it's like to be normal? And, uh, Boston Bruins, uh, my play is back. I'm doing good. And Boston offered me a contract and uh, I told the general manager for the Las Vegas Thunder, I said, you know, I could go to Boston. So what they did, they matched the uh, the price, and plus I put in, uh, I got a horse, I got two horses, and a horse for every year I'd play after that. And I remember a reporter talking to me after the game, or after one of our games, he goes, that must be the first professional contract yeah. uh, in sports with livestock involved. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's funny. That's a great story. I like that. Who was the general manager there? Then? Bob was Strum. It was Bob Strum? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when I was in the Asian business, I dealt with Bob a lot. Yeah, he he had uh, was was a Brad Lauer, I think I had as a client that he wanted uh, there. Yeah, they paid yep. him a lot of money too. Yeah, yep. uh, yeah, yeah. We, we the the players we had there, we had Alexi Yash, and we had Cujo, we had uh, okay. Ruslan Soleil, we had Radic Bonk. I mean, we yeah. had a lot of good players come through there. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, so that eventually ends though. So you play a couple more seasons in the IHL, and then you just decide to retire. Like the knees are acting up, or well. Yep. Yep. And, um, I also had talked about getting into coaching. And so my transition was from player to assistant GM to assistant coach. Oh, so so I was pretty lucky, you know, a lot of guys, they want to coach or something, but they got to go, you know, start real low. I was able to just kind of take the pads off, take the skates off and put a suit on and go to work. Very good. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, going back a little bit, you mentioned how you got your mental health in order. How did you do that? Well, uh, in Buffalo, there was about a three-year period after the accident where uh, I was really, really uh, struggling with things. And then that incident happened at the Super Bowl party. And after that, I was on just a, seeing different doctors, specialists, different medications, and um, and nothing was working. So my play was pretty bad, so I get sent to the minors. Uh, I was in San Diego. And lo and behold, my first game there, I let in four goals on six shots, you know, and even for me, that's not very good. <laughs> and, and so anyways, I go into Rick Dudley was our coach. I said, Rick, I, after the game, I, I, I got – I. I'm a mess. I can't, I can't play. Well, Rick was under the impression I was just coming down, uh, you know, get my game in order and maybe go back. And so we started talking and he said, well, here, let's get you into a doctor. I said, Rick, I've seen so many doctors. And anyways, Rick uh, calls me in the next day and they had me in to see this Dr. Stephen Stahl in San Diego. He's a leading uh, psychiatrist, lectures and, and all sorts of things, uh, you know, very renowned. And I went to see him and uh, he got me, he got within six weeks of medication that he put me on. Uh, I turned it right around. Like, I mean, uh, like to the point where I said, is this what it feels like to be normal? Cause I had no gauge. I had no gauge of what normal was. Cause I'd struggled with uh, OCD and depression, anxiety since I was a, a kid. Right. Wow. So are you still on that medication now? No, I've t- I, I'm on medication, but I, I <laughs> that, well, I don't know. Um, the, uh, this story gets crazier. So I'm playing, uh, oh, shoot, uh, let's see. I'm coaching with, uh, I think it was Columbus, and uh, it was before training camp, I believe. Anyways, uh, my medications aren't working uh, because, okay, when you're in, in sports, you got a team doctor, right? And you got a prescription. Hey, renew it, renew it, renew it. I did that for years and years and years. So I was never checking in with my shrink or uh, any of this stuff. So over time, my body was getting immune to the medication. It wasn't working the way it should. And of course, I was self-medicating. I was drinking, oh, shit. uh, I'd say 20 to 30 beers a day just to get through a day. Wow. Jesus. Well, that's that's American beer, and I'm Canadian, so <laughs> it's a discount. It's not that, yeah, it's not that much. But uh, yeah, and then uh, uh, I'm not doing good at all. Um, just and then I I was seeing another psychiatrist, and he had me amped up on so much uh, uh, medication and stuff, stuff to go to sleep, stuff to wake up, uh, stuff for depression, anxiety, and so it was a little bit overkill. And um, one day I went behind the barn right right here and uh, shot myself. Wow. Yeah. You so shot, now, yourself the, shot yourself in the head, correct? Yes. Right. Yeah. And what were you thinking at that point? You thinking that was it? 
Uh, you know what? I didn't even lose consciousness. The, the, I know the thick goalie head or something. The bullet yeah. got lodged, lodged in my skull. And, um, um, yeah, I just, uh, was waiting to pass out. I was waiting to die. And, you know, and now I think I'm good. And, and, you know, I stitch horses and, and, and that cattle or whatever it might be. So I'm trying to maybe stitch my, I shot under my chin. So I'm trying to, and my wife is, and the cops come and paramedics and they're, they're trying to get me on this helicopter life flight. And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> they go, they go, sir, you I know it's, yeah. it's not funny, but I, it's it is well, kind of funny. Like you're a bad shot. Bottom line is right. Like no you're kidding, it. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, real bad shot, point blank, and I couldn't even get it right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how our <clears throat> that switch will go. One minute I'm I'm shooting myself, next minute I'm fine, and I'm I'm saying I'm not getting in that helicopter. It might go down. You know? <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> uh, now I heard a story. Is it true that uh, you tried to hide it at first that you had shot yourself? Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because uh, you know, I, I was I was a goalie coach I, with Columbus, and um, I didn't want like if they knew I suicide attempt, I'd, I'd I'd never get another coaching job. Sure. So I told my wife again. Remember, I'm conscious, and I said, "Tell them it was an accident. Tell them I was going through a fence, and the gun went off." Um, and she did, but then the, the cops kind of know me in this town, and I was getting in some trouble with uh with the law a little bit just fighting and that it was the ptsd all blowing up on me and they knew i was struggling and one of the sergeants uh talked to my wife and said you know if he gets out of the hospital um you you can't do anything you just walk out but if you say it's a suicide we've got control doctors have control um we can't just he can't just walk out so she changed she changed that uh How did you feel about that? That she changed that? Oh boy. You know, I was, I, I was, I, they put me in a coma, so I can't remember. I was in a coma for 10 days or something. So I, I, I don't think I had any feelings about that. And I don't think I knew about that until well after. Right. So you think ultimately she made the right decision though, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because knowing me, I, I would have left. Soon as I was physically able to leave a hospital, I would have been gone. So it's a real pattern there. You joked about it at the start about having that cowboy mentality, right? We just don't quit. You just get back up all the time. Right. It seems like that's a pattern in your life. When you know, so a lot of good things come from that. But in this case, dealing with your mental health, it was kind of a yeah. Well, you know, we're all uh, products of our childhood. Yeah. And uh, you know, especially as hockey players, what Tom? What were you brought up? I was, a, I was a farm boy. Yeah. Yeah. Tough it out, you know, yeah. push through it. It's a long ways from your heart. Yeah. You know, your <laughs> yeah. My, my father, one of his proudest moments was, uh, I don't know what I was doing. I was playing for LA and I bought him one of those big satellite dishes. So he's watching the game. We're in Calgary. And uh, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was flying down the ice. Well, flying for me and uh, yeah. flipped over the goaltender, went head first in the board, head first in the boards. Scotty Bowman was doing the play by play or excuse me, the color commentating on TV. And the play-by-play guy goes, oh, man, I don't know who that is, but he's not getting up from that hit. And then Scotty Bowman goes, no, that's Laidlaw. He'll get up. He always gets up. And my yeah. father watched my father watched that, and that was the most proud moment for him. That's He talked about that all the time. So, yeah, that mentality. Well, it, it, but isn't that a great compliment, really? I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. you, 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 we could be the most talented guys, but we could be a real, you yeah. know, pick your spots, lay on the ice, all that. I'd rather be the tough guy to, you know. Yeah. You it got to have a head like Laidlaw too, though. That definitely comes yeah. in handy. Well, well, have a head like yours? Indestructible. <laughs> well, it's that fortitude, you know, that yeah. that uh, we're brought up with, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I look back at my father, and grandfather. I'm sure you do too. I look back at them now and I think they're just fantastic men. I think when I was younger, I didn't know that though, right? I didn't understand how fantastic they were. But so you ended up the suicide attempt. How long did you spend in the hospital? Uh, for the physical healing, I was in there. Two and a half weeks, I think. Oh, okay. And then they sent me to a treatment center for, uh, uh, well, I developed a pretty good drinking pattern and um, also for my mental illness. Right. So I went to this, uh, it's called a dual diagnosis uh, where they, uh, and a lot of people, you know, it, a lot of people should understand that with mental illness, um, whatever it might be, whatever d- type of mental illness, there's a huge correlation between mental illness and addiction. 
Right. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why, at least for me, um, you know, if you're feeling depressed or anxious or OCD is off the charts or a couple beers, oh, calm you down. Yeah. And, um, you know, self-medicating, right, Clint? Yes, yes, absolutely self-medicating. And then, but the thing was, it was like then, then it was four beer, eight beers, 10 beers, 12 beers to get the same, uh, I guess, medication, self-medication into you right. that, that calms you down. Sure. And we grew up in that culture where farming and hockey player, the beer went along with it, right? That was all. Oh, yeah. Part of yeah. Three things you could count on there. Do you think uh, I've learned recently that in a lot of cases with addiction and PTSD, it, it starts with some form of uh, trauma when you're young, like up to seven or eight years old. Do you believe in that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I think a lot of the people in life that really struggle, if you go back and and trust me, I've seen enough shrinks and therapists and psychologists and everything. It, they always go back to your your childhood or your teens uh, where. You know, we're we're getting programmed uh, for the rest of our life at those ages. But, uh, you know, my dad was an abusive alcoholic. When, but um, and I do have trauma from that. I know I do because I seen a lot of crap. Sure. But uh, what threw me over the edge was the jugular vein getting cut, that trauma preparing for death. Yeah. You know, um, seeing, you know, your your blood just firing out of your body. Wow, that that feeling I I can't even imagine what was going through your head. Well, you're explaining it now, but still, it's still hard to kind of comprehend how you go through that. So, well, that that uh, and what I did learn about trauma is is if you're predisposed, like I was, to some yeah. mental mental health issues, um, trauma will make those things explode, and that's why after that accident, I digressed like bad and fast. Yeah. So the suicide attempt uh, with the gun, how long ago was that then? That was 2008, October 7, 2008. Wow. And yeah. then since then, you've gotten treatment and everything's fine. You're feeling 100% or where are you at? I still have my days. Um, um, obviously, I don't drink. But, um, yeah, I still have to deal with the anxiety uh, and depression. But I've got a toolkit. And I've seen you on Facebook, too, and you talk about some some cool stuff. Um but you know, my tool. I have to take my medication. I got to see my doctor. Not let it go fifteen years just on the same drug. Um, I learned to meditate or at least be mindful, stay in the moment. Oh, cool, good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, people should understand meditation doesn't mean sitting cross-legged going home. There's so many different forms of meditation. Yeah. I I water the grass in front of my barn in the summer. I stand there and I'm watching the water and the dogs are playing. The chickens are running around. That that's a form of meditation. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. I really had, I recently had a woman on a, a registered hypnotist. Uh, very interesting stuff too. Uh, I, I really thought that hypnoti hypnotism was, you know, they're dangling the watch in front of your face or whatever, but she really, it's the real science about it. She really taught me about the subconscious mind and how you can get into, you know, hypnosis and you can really kind of change your subconscious mind, which is a big thing. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I totally believe that. Every morning I go to the beach now and be in front of the water and the sun and all those things. It's just, there's so many things we can do to help ourselves mentally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, don't get intimidated by, you know, oh meditation. Like my wife, she was like, I ain't meditating. I said, you should try just calm your mind, whatever. Right. So I got a little emotional support dog and in the evenings in the summer, she put this dog in a basket on the bike and go for a ride, put her earbuds in and go for a ride. One time I thought I'm watering the lawn in front of the barn and doing my thing. And she shows up. And I said, how is your meditation? She looked oh. at me like, and she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, that's a form of meditation. Oh, cool. Very good. Yeah. 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 Isn't that true? Yeah. Like you talked about it before, like not being afraid to help yourself and fix yourself, right? There's so many things we can do for ourselves on a daily basis, whether it's foods, diet, exercise, the meditating, you know, we've got all these resources and you think sometimes like, God, we got to use them. But I, I've certainly learned more. In the last, like, since I started all this true good life stuff, I've learned more like in the last five years about how I can make myself a better person, right? Right, right. No, so it, you, it, 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 we got to have a little d discipline. Yeah. Um, you know, we want to replace bad habits with good habits. Yeah. And those bad habits are still knocking on the door. So yeah, you got yeah. to be, be disciplined and, and say, okay, this is going to work. I just got to be consistent. 
Yeah. Because people say sometimes, well, I lose my motivation. Well, that's, yes, you will lose your motivation, but if you don't lose your discipline, that's something you can control your discipline. So you just don't lose your discipline. Then you're fine. Right. You're going to make, you can, like you said, you can have bad days sometimes too, right? You're going to make mistakes. Happens to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I still struggle with anxiety and uh, my OCD is uh, pretty controllable. Um, I just recognize it and go, yeah, that's just me doing my thing. You know, yeah. my brain is going <laughs> in that direction. But uh, like first thing I like to do is I get up in the morning, I do all my emails and not that I have a ton. Um, and uh, I get that and then I go out in the barn. And I got a little gym in my barn. Oh, cool. And once I once I rock out a workout, I roll pretty good after that for the rest of the day. Isn't that true? Getting the workout done in the morning? Yeah, man, yeah. it feels good. Man, you just, oh, like, yeah. you've, you've accomplished something. You've helped yourself, made yourself better. Yeah. Right. You just get the blood moving. Even You know, uh, you and I aren't youngsters anymore, and our joints are probably pretty worn and broken down, but we still get out there and um, do something, yeah. you know? Totally. I agree 100%. Yeah, I can never use that phrase. It's pretty good for an old guy. I hate that, say, that saying, right? We're not. Yeah, we've got some miles on the body, but we're still we're still we're getting younger. That's what an old guy would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Thanks, well, looking at you, Tommy, I mean, it's a good thing this is audio. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! You know the the Rangers get we go to events and they give us these cards, and on the back of the card there's a picture of me with a mullet. So I, you give these cards to the kids, and the kids always look at it and they look at the picture and they go to their parents all the time. They go, "That's not him. He's lying. Yeah. That's not him. Yeah, he's got no hair." <laughs> Double take. <laughs> Grass does not grow on a busy street is what we say. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. You, got, you got the full head of hair going still? I do pretty good. Yeah. Oh, not bad. Good job. Yeah, not bad. It's not, not, it's bad. not that great. Are you dying that? No, that, no. That's all natural. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I it's, it's got gray in there, but you know, I've been, I've been blessed that way. It's my nose. Yeah. that bothers me. <laughs> Sucker, I can turn it upside down. <laughs> Clint actually, Clint fought quite a bit for a goaltender. Did you, were you a fighter? Yeah. I loved it. Um, oh, did you? Oh. I, I was I was on a podcast uh, about a year ago, and this guy he was a sports guy, and he brought up a a stat. He goes, Clint, you might be the only player that got seventeen minutes, in, seventeen penalty minutes, and you didn't play one lick of the game. <laughs> did you have a big brawl? Yeah, that big brawl with Quebec and Montreal. Oh yeah, oh, okay, yeah. that's right too. That brawl uh, was that was a good one. Good Friday Massacre, they called it. Yes, yeah, that's who, who, right. Were you going with seven in that one? Yeah, and then uh, I think it was Mario Tremblay. Well, you know, we're you never know what's going to happen, and you just grab onto a different jersey. And yeah, that's funny because we had the Ranger Islander brawls too. But I think that uh, Montreal Quebec series that that game was worse than ones I've seen before. That was good. Yeah, yeah, nice good. So, any regrets about your playing career at all? Well, I wish I was better. <laughs> so does Tom. Uh, no, you know, I did the best I could. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I never looked at myself. I was not real confident. So, uh, but that OCD gave me that work ethic of repetition, repetition, and the obsession of being the best that you can be. And if, sure. if you don't make it, you can look in the mirror and say, well, you know what? I did everything yeah. I could. Right. You, uh, you, can, you can live with that. Right. But if you took, and I know a lot of guys had super talent and junior, and you know this, Tom, that um, you're like, this guy's, a, he, he, it's a no miss. This guy's going to be a bona fide NHLer. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you never hurt, you yeah. never, never surfaces. Yeah. And they were usually kind of lazy, complacent yep. personalities. Yeah. You know? I, I think you're the same way for me. Uh, looking back at my life, it's all the successes I've had were, or if I didn't have successes, the common denominator was that I just kept showing up all the time. If I didn't keep showing up all the time, then it wasn't going to work. You know? Well, we, we we actually feared for our jobs quite a bit yeah. back then. Yeah. We, we didn't have uh, these secured contracts yeah. and no trades and, um, you know, millions of dollars. I mean, a backup goalie now can make a mill. Give me, I'll play 20 games for a million dollars. Yeah. It's funny how you mentioned you didn't have any confidence. Like I went through uh I had a great conversation with James Patrick. He was a great, great teammate of mine. And he was going through the same thing too. Like I was on the uh, all-star ballot one year. I think it's my fifth or sixth year in the league. And I was misprint. Like, it was a <laughs> misprint. <laughs> <laughs> this is my, this is my producer right here. Yeah. He's, his name is Tom Smith. We're really doubting whether he's really Tom Smith or not. <laughs> um, 
but it was the weirdest feeling. I was like, me on the all-star ballot? I'm not supposed to be in the all-star. Like it really, it probably the worst year I had in the league because I just couldn't believe that. I think it was more of a fear that I actually have to play in the all-star game. I'm, thinking, I'm not going to go to the all-star game with Wayne Gretzky and all these guys. So it's funny when you think about pro athletes and you talk to a lot of guys, there's certain periods or maybe their whole career, they just don't have confidence in themselves. Yep, they, yep. They, I, I, I look now and yeah, uh, I think pro athletes are very insecure. Yeah, totally. Part, yeah. part of part of it's the insecurity back when we played anyways, you know, of you get sent to the minors like that. There's no big waiver wire, you know. Um, but I, I remember sitting on a plane and uh, we had, uh, uh, he was a rookie, John Drews. Yeah. And I was playing with uh, Washington and we're great actors, right? Yeah. And he looks over at me, he goes, how do you do it? And I said, do what? Goes well. You're so confident. You're funny, and you're always upbeat. And I said, I looked at him. Went wow. If I could, if I had a zipper on my my belly here, and I zipped it down, I said, you know what, son, you'd see a three ring circus in there. So <laughs> I guess I'm doing a good job. But we do. Yeah, we put on a good act, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's called survival, I guess. Yeah. Because I look back now, and I think I love myself way more than I ever did before. Like I look back at my playing career and I was like, I think it's probably too that all you really looked at, people only look at you as a hockey player. Right. Nobody really cares about you. And listen, it's, it's a fantastic life. There's nothing to complain about, but it's, you realize, I think later on in life, you kind of figure it out that, yeah, like, man, nobody. And and, and we're so insecure that if somebody's really nice to us, or if you start becoming friends with somebody away from the rink, you're like, he just likes me because he he wants tickets to a game or, you know, say I'm his buddy or whatever. Isn't it true when the game finally ends, you're like you've been on a team all your life, the game finally ends. That's kind of a scary thought at first, right? It's like, I remember walking out of the LA forum when I was told I was done. I was like, man, what, this is weird. Like, and I knew it was coming too. Yeah. 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 No, uh, transition for athletes into the uh, next, uh, next life of working or whatever they're going to choose running a business. Uh, it, it's, it, it weighs on a lot of, uh, a lot of athletes. And I know a lot of people listening might go, well, they, how many millions of dollars do you have in the bank? Oh, well, you and I never had that problem, but no. yeah. now, now they, now they do. Yeah. Um, and you know, they just, uh, but it, it, I think we are searching for a purpose and our purpose was to be a player. Yeah. And that's all we did since we were a kid yep, totally. and it was our dream. And then we achieve it and then we're living it and playing it. And when it's gone, well, where's my purpose? Where's my identity? I'll tell you how um, screwed up I was. When I was a kid, if I had a good game, I was a good kid. If I had a bad game, I was a bad kid. Oh. And that is sick thinking. Yeah, like, okay. Where does that come from? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Was that, is that you internally or is that put on you by parents, coaches, mentors? I think it was me uh, mostly. But you also feel that vibe if you had a bad game and you're driving home and your dad's, you know, yeah, a little grumpy with you. you, you know, you're going, I know I didn't play well. Yeah, you, know? you, you, want, to, you want to please those people, right? Especially yeah. your parents. Who make yeah, happy. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, we talked in the open how Clint's a, a real cowboy, Tom, and you're a pretend cowboy. But Clint <laughs> actually is a rancher and is as a horse dentist, which is pretty yeah. amazing. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that part. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah, please yeah, tell us about that. Well, uh, let's see. I was uh, I was coaching. They hired a new GM. And the GM came in and said, hey, um, I might hire somebody else as a coach, but I'm not firing you. You're still the coach. But and this is in the spring. I'm like, oh, all right. So it gets into like July. And I'm like, uh, you know what? Coaching jobs are getting filled up. So if they fired me in July, I'm, I'm screwed. So I said, you know, screw this. And I, I went to school and, uh, and uh, became a horse dentist and a horse chiropractor. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So do you have, do you have your own ranch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, it's just a. It, it's not like we're running a, a thousand head of cattle or anything. It's more right. like a, uh, you know, it's just acreage, horses, goats, dogs. Cool. You know. Very cool. How old are you now? Sixty-one. Looking pretty good there, brother. For all the stuff yeah. you've been through. For an old guy. <laughs> no, no. For all the stuff you've been through, you've had a full life. A lot of a lot of things have happened in that life. Yeah. Have you, have you written a book too, Craig? Yep. Yep. What's the name of that book? Uh, well, there's two titles. One's uh, called The Crazy Game. It's the same book as A Matter of Inches. I, and so 
the book was published in Canada by or Canadian publisher Harper and Collins, and uh, they wanted the crazy game. And I was I, at first I wasn't big on the title because I didn't want that stigma of crazy in there. Yeah. But they said the editor goes, you know how many times you said in the book that you thought you were crazy or going crazy? Oh. I went, oh, OK. So then uh, a U.S. publisher picked it up, Triumph Books, and they didn't they didn't like crazy so they wanted to name it a matter of inches and i said well that sounds like a porn <laughs> oh boy <laughs> for tom it's a, just a matter of a few inches yeah yeah Wait, speak for yourself <laughs> uh that's funny so clint as, as a horse dentist can you just check out tom's teeth and tell us what you think yeah <laughs> I, I probably these pull are, it up. these are new teeth i had to pay for these ones Jeez. yeah that's isn't it funny how everybody always asks hockey players like are those your teeth i said oh yeah they're mine i had to pay for them huh? yeah yeah, no, I, I've, 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 I've missed it a couple. Oh, yeah, good. Well, so how, how you're feeling like you have your off days now, but life is good for you now? Yeah, yeah. Um, we have big Christmas. Uh, my wife's a figure skating director at a rink in Reno, which is about an hour north of us. Okay. And uh, every year we do a Christmas concert on ice with the kids and costumes, and I'm always Santa. Oh, you're Santa. Very good. Good job. Yeah. Grumpiest Santa you'll ever meet. Uh, there you go. Well, listen, uh, I've always followed your story. We haven't really never spoken to each other face to face. We've talked to each other on Facebook a few times, and you're actively involved in the ranch and the Mark Pavlich Foundation. I mean, too, correct? Yes. Yeah, I'm the VP of of the ranch. Uh, I, I don't know. Did you see Barry Beck in town? Yes. Uh, month ago? He did. Yep, he was in town. Yep, definitely. So yeah. Barry and Mark were pretty tight, and uh, it was their kind of idea. And um, after Mark passed, uh, well, we started it before Mark passed, but um, after he passed, uh, our mission was to continue in his name mm -hmm. and help athletes, help uh, hockey players with PTSD, addiction, depression, mental, you know, brain trauma, brain trauma, yeah. um, concussions, all that. So yeah, we're we're uh, we're actively uh, working on the. On that, uh, I think we'll be up and running by the spring. So you'll have the, the ranch up and running. Yeah. Oh wow! I didn't know that for. I didn't know that for long. Well, well, we we um, there's a place called the Eagles Healing Nest, and it's a uh, about 125 acres um, it, on a lake in Minnesota. It's beautiful, and uh, I I knew the gal that kind of founded that place and everything, so I called her. And just, I can't remember what I was after, but we started talking and she donated a building on that property for us. So all we're doing now is renovating that building, making it right. live. Good. See, I like that better. Cause I listen, a fantastic concept to do it. It's just, that's a big undertaking to, to get the land, to build the ranch and then maintain it all the time. So well, like that. that was our, you know, that was our original thought. So we got to buy some property or we got to buy an old, an old ranch or an old sure. farm and you know renovate it to accommodate uh you know uh hockey players or vet veterans and um then i just kind of got hooked up with her and we thought well this is the best way to go cheap cheapest way to go and if we want to expand if we're doing you know we, then we can put one in arizona or you know a little warmer climate so the idea is then if uh, former athletes is it anybody or just former nhl players if they need help can go to this ranch we, we, we've talked about this uh, as a board and um, it, we're all under the same agreement that uh, we'll never close the door on anybody if somebody needs a bed, but our niche, our niche is hockey. Right. You know, That's awesome. I mean, we, we, we've had suicides in the game, um, yeah. you know, overdoses, uh, um, you know, a lot of uh, brain trauma, yeah. uh, things like that. So we want to have our, uh, a place where a hockey player would be safe feeling safe to go to that he's going to be among peers rather than sure. um, he can relate. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, congrats but, on that Clint. But we, thank you. But we agreed we'll never close the door on anybody on any sport or veterans or uh, I just sent a, a gal there, uh, a former player. Um, now when I say center there, yes, we're renovating our building, but we are still working with the Eagles healing that. So, um, it was a, a former player's girlfriend who was struggling, struggling with some issues. Oh, okay. And she went there. I think she was probably there two months and she loved it. She Good. healed. Yeah. She really did a big turnaround and 
yeah, it's pretty cool. Good, great job by you. That's fantastic. Yeah, great memory for Mark Pavlich too. He was a great guy playing with him. He was uh, he was a different guy for sure. He lived his own life and uh, did well. You know, it's funny. Uh, I never met Mark in person. I played against him, and um, when Barry Beck and uh, Mark's sister called me to see if I'd be interested in in being involved in this uh, this this ranch, um, so Mark at that time was in a in Minnesota. He was in a lockdown facility, like a psychiatric. Uh, not house lack of better word like i told you i'm not politically correct he was in a lockdown nut house and hated it um and i was phoning his lawyer uh i was talking to the da um to get him released to to us at the eagle's healing nest oh and and you know it took some time but it it did happen and um he was uh very very happy there uh although he died by suicide there uh, there's a lot of backstory to that. He was facing some possible prison time, and he, he I was talking to him on the phone every week, and uh, he was so grateful that I got him out of that nut house. And uh, he sounded like he was doing terrific and everything, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, he he always told me though. He says I, I'm worried about this court thing that uh, that he was going through, and uh, um, he was he said I can't do jail time. So I should have seen a red flag there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's always easier looking back at it, right? I mean, you can't, you can't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's like my wife before I pulled the trigger. I mean, you know, now she has to worry. What, what could I have done or seen? Yeah, you know. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. I was involved in that Sheldon Kennedy case with Graham James, and there's so many people uh, after that said, there was, "Oh God, why didn't I see the signs? Like, why didn't I know about that?" You know. Well, you, you, you were you didn't play for James, did you? No, uh, Sheldon asked me to represent him uh, about two weeks before he went public with the news or went to the police oh. about the news. So um, I'd represented Dallas Drake and I was living in Detroit at the time. So I knew Sheldon a little bit and he was, you know, that troubled kid, you know, getting in trouble and everything. And I've really learned a lot. You know, you see these kids that are, are good kids that are getting in trouble and you should really look for the signs to see there's, some, there's a reason he's acting the way yeah. he's acting, right? And well, I, learned, I learned so much. Uh, Theo Fleury, same thing. I mean, yep. Yep. Um, he had a, he struggled with addiction for, Yep. years it, it, you know destroyed his career at the end yeah. uh the amount of money he went through uh, i think he told me he's been he went to rehab like seven times or something sure. yeah you know yeah. but yeah again it goes back to what we talked about earlier uh, some things that happen to us when we're young totally. uh, yeah. come to bite us in the butt as we age right that's why it's so important to people around and make sure you're available to have people talk to you uh, I'm sure you do that all the time. I have people call me. I had a gentleman call me the other day at four o'clock in the morning, uh, a veteran that was suicidal. And uh, I was glad I was there for him. I really, you know, yeah. I think he just needed somebody there for him more than anything. So, yeah. And, you know, people always ask me for advice and, and this and that. And I say, you know what? I can't give you advice. I'm not uh, uh, qualified that way, but I can tell you what worked for me and what didn't work for me. Sure. But I, I bet you I spend uh, an hour to two hours in the evening talking to people. Sure. Uh, that are struggling. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, it, a lot of times it's just being there. Uh, yeah. Support. Totally. I mean, yeah. It just just let, them, let them know that they're important in somebody's life, right? That's really what they need. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. yeah for sure. well, you've, you've had a great life. Do you, let me ask you a question. Do you love yourself now? Um, Self love. I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, my total <laughs> response should be, oh, of course I do. Sure. No, I, I think it's something I struggled with as a kid. Um, I can say I work at it and I don't know if I'll ever be, yeah. well, but I work at it and, um, yeah, I, I, but do I love myself? Yeah, I do more than I used to put it that way, but I have to work, but I have to work at it. Yeah, definitely. It, 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 my wife, my wife just thinks she's the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, she had to be to get you. She had yeah, to be. no right? And, but it's funny because I, I, I can't connect to that kind of thinking. Right. I think there's more of us that are, that struggle. Right. Than there are of her that are total confident and, you know. Right. Does she work at her confidence? Does she work at loving herself? Her? Yeah. No. 
<laughs> it just happens. <laughs> we got to meet her. We got to meet her. Maybe we got to show with her. Yeah. Well, Clint, uh, thank you very much. Uh, it was great to finally sit face to face to talk. Your story, although uh, a lot of bad things have happened to you, you're coming through all this now, and glad to see you're doing well. So. Well, I appreciate it. And anytime I get a chance to talk uh, about my life and hopefully inspire people that, hey, you know what? You can you can be happy. You can be healthy. You can be productive. It uh, opens up that communication. And we got to get rid of the stigma that surrounds your yes. illness. Yeah. Well, I agree with you totally. If we can ever get together, help somebody else, I'd love to do that. So great to have nope. you on. Next time I'm in New York, I got your coach. Okay, good. You got it. I got a spare, <laughs> a spare room even. Well, I'll bring a bedroll. Oh, okay. Right, Thanks right. for doing this, Clint. Take care. Thanks, Clint. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Wow, what an amazing story, an amazing life. Yeah. A real cowboy, yeah. obviously, but... Jeez. Wow. I tell you, that's the first time we'd spoken. We'd touched a base with each other on Facebook, but never faced or talking to each other. And just the story, the kind of person he is now, too. Like he's got a sense of humor about things, but he's been through a lot, you know, the suicide, the attempted suicide, and the injury itself, and how much it affected him in his life. And that was, that was, I remember watching that on TV. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Terrible. yeah. We all, and, and the fact that he, he came back from it 10 days later yeah. is insane. And then also that he, the honesty that he gave us was, was yeah. awesome and to be that open and sharing. But like he came back and then he got re triggered again when Zednik got cut. No, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's tough. And even the part talking about his, his mother being at home watching the game and all that happened. Yeah, and no, I can't God. imagine that. Yeah. Can you imagine that's the thought in your head? Don't die. Oh, don't God. die so your mom can watch you. My God, like how do you I don't how do you bounce back from that? But what a successful story! Yeah. Great second chapter. He's a horse dentist. Yeah, and chiropractor, which is, I didn't even know that existed. You know, that's amazing. And again, another guy out there trying to help other people. Like learned a lot from what he went through, and other people are reaching out to him to get help. Pretty yeah, inspiring story. You and I have talked. Obviously, I, I'm, you played in the NHL. I watched the NHL, but Mark Pavlich was my favorite player growing up, and sure. and he's involved with with the, yeah. the foundation and helping people, and that's just incredible work, and it's awesome what he's doing. Yeah, he's a good person. All right, Grasshoppers, thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time. <laughs>